0: Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I am so excited to have you back with me for our second episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. I first have to start up with thank yous. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. This first week was a great, successful launch because of you guys. You guys downloaded the podcast. You all shared the podcast. You all subscribed to the podcast. You left reviews to the podcast. And what that did is that made it accessible for other people. Everybody was seeing it this past week, and everybody was sharing that message of hope. And it wasn't so much that people were sharing my story. People were just sharing the podcast and that people were getting on board with the story of hope. And that excites me more than you guys could possibly know. I was very nervous before launching the podcast about sharing my story and getting it out there because it is a very vulnerable place to be, getting your whole dirty, long, dark story out there for everybody to hear. But it did what I wanted it to do. I've got so many great responses for people who said, hey, I went through this. Thank you for sharing your story. It kind of made me feel normal. Or I have someone in my family going through this or they've been through it in the past, and we never talked about it. So I was was excited to hear that people were like, you know, I want to reopen this conversation and not just hush-hush about it and people not talk about it. So mental health awareness is very huge to me, and obviously it's huge to a lot of people. So don't let the conversation die after the first episode. Continue to share that message. Continue to reach out to people, and let's make mental health not a scary thing to talk about. Um, let's make it an everyday thing to talk about so people feel supported and feel normal about it. So again, I couldn't thank you guys more for a great first week and helping have a successful launch of the podcast. It really means a lot to me. But I still need your help. And here's why. So I've had this goal that I've been researching about the podcast before I launched it. And I've talked to a few people about it. A few people know what my goals are. And I've figured, you know if i have the support of all these people who are downloading the podcast and it's touching hundreds of people i need to let them know what my goals are so here is my big goal i want to show up in itunes in a category that's called the new and noteworthy section and if you show up in the new and noteworthy section for your podcast that is huge that means more awareness more downloads more people hearing the podcast now i don't not having this as a personal goal because i want to be super popular I want the people on my podcast who are going to be on these interviews to be popular. They've got such amazing stories, and if we can get it to a platform where people are seeing it, that is amazing. That's going to give so much more hope and encouragement to people, and that's what the podcast is all about. So how do you do this? So when you launch a podcast, you have the first eight weeks to show up in the new and noteworthy section. So already a couple weeks in, and I've been getting a lot of great reviews from people. People are rating the show. So what I ask of you, and here's why I need your help, continue to share this podcast with people, continue, if you have not had a chance yet, to please leave a review and a rating on iTunes. I mean, I'm not trying to spoon feed you what to say, just positive ratings are great, positive reviews are great. That really shows iTunes that more people like this content, more people want to see this content, and if we can show up in the new and noteworthy section, that would be amazing. So that is my prayer, something I've been thinking about for a long time, praying about, and I've shared it with a few people, but I wanted to share it with all of you because now we're a community. It's not just me sitting alone in my basement recording a podcast. It is me talking to all of you, and you get to hear these interviews with amazing people, and we want to continue spreading that message of hope and encouragement. So thank you very much ahead of time for going back and subscribing rating and reviewing the show. It would be greatly appreciated and um, it's really going to help get this message out. So now we are on to the second episode. We're on to the part that I've really, really wanted to get out. All these people's interviews. The podcast is about sharing your story, sharing what you've gone through and sharing your message on the other end of that. And our first guest couldn't do that any better. Her name is Bonnie Collins and Bonnie Collins has been a friend of mine for a couple of years. And I was introduced to her story, getting to know her. And I've followed her on Facebook and on her social media through her journey. And it is quite an amazing one. And I just want you guys to sit here, listen to this, listen to what she's saying, and listen to how she says it with such strength. And let it really resonate with you. Soak it in, take it in, and let it make a difference for you on the other side when you finish this podcast. So without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to my friend, Bonnie Collins. Well, Bonnie Collins, welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast. I'm honored that you join us today, that you want to share your story with us. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing good. I'm ready.
0: You're ready? Okay. So before we dive deep into the story with Maya and your family, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Sure. So um, I met my husband in college and we kind of dated on and off. We um, moved. We dated in um, Knoxville where we met and um, we lived in the apartment next door to each other. Um, And I ended up moving to Atlanta first with a job and Mm -hmm. uh, then he followed um, and we lived in Atlanta for about six years, um, had both our girls there. We had Anna first. and about two years later we had Maya. And um, we were in Atlanta for like I said for six years and then we moved to Cincinnati. Um, and you're gonna ask me the year and I can't remember the year but <laughs> t- it was like 12 years ago <laughs> 12 years
0: ago. okay okay. So I won't pin you down to the date. Okay, good. <laughs> and so, did you move here because of jobs?
1: Yeah, so he got a job at um, P&G. We both actually worked together in Knoxville. We, I'm a graphic designer. He's a product designer. And we both worked um, at Phillips Consumer Electronics, in starting in, in Tennessee, and then we both got transferred to Atlanta together. Okay. Uh, but um, then he got a job at P&G, and I was kind of a stay-at-home mom at that point, so we both ended up in Cincinnati.
0: Oh, great. So yes. you're a stay-at-home mom. You're there with Anna and Maya. How old were they at that point when you were staying at home with them? Now,
1: Maya, I know, was 18 months, and Anna's about two years older than she is. So what? She was about four.
0: She was about four when you guys were here. Okay. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you guys moved here together. You have kids. You have jobs. Everything's yep. moving along at a good pace. I'm sure you're happy at that point, right? Everything yeah. Yeah. looking good. good. So mm-hmm. at what point did that change in your story a little bit?
1: Um, So, let's see, it was probably 2011, maybe late 2010, um, Maya started just, you know, being, she was tired, she Mm -hmm. was having bloody noses, um, just gushing bloody noses, you know, I can remember being at a, um, Anna was very involved with theater, and so I think it was um, Wizard of Oz, and she was at a rehearsal and I had Maya in tow, and she just started discussing bloody nose that wasn't stopping. And there was a nurse, actually, who uh, kind of a fellow mom, but she was also a nurse. And she was like, you know, have you ever taken her in to have that looked at? And I said, yes, I've been to the doctor several times. And he just says it's kind of normal childhood bloody noses. Kids get them a lot with the dry air. And um, so... You know, she continued to get more and more fatigued, and I kept taking her back to the doctor. And he kept just saying, "You know, she's maybe she's involved with too many activities," which was crazy because she was only doing ballet at the time, a mm-hmm. uh, couple like a day or two a week. Um, and so I don't know. I think it was probably nine months later. I took her back in. She had another gushing bloody nose, and I just knew something wasn't right. She kept she was sleeping all the time. She was starting to look really pale, and um, he said, well, you know what, let's just run some lab work, and so they ran lab work, and we went home that night, and literally, as soon as I walked in the door, the phone was ringing, and I picked it up. It was about 5 o'clock at that point in in the evening, and um, he said, you need to bring her in immediately, and I I thought, well, shoot, because they close at 5, so I I knew something was wrong, obviously. They were keeping the office open for us, and we came in, and he and his partner were waiting for us, and they still didn't really know what was going on. You know, it turns out she had leukemia. She was diagnosed with leukemia, but typical leukemia is shows bruising, which she did not have bruising, um, petechiae, which is where your cap, your blood capillaries burst. She didn't have any of that. It was, you know, not the typical symptoms of leukemia, so they really didn't know what it was. So we, ha- we made an appointment at Children's Hospital, and it took us two weeks to get in, and the day we went in, he, they were trying to draw her blood, and it was literally clotting as it was going into the tubes, oh. and they had never seen anything like it. Turns out her platelets were in the gazillions. I mean, I don't even know what the number was, but they were crazy high, and they were, you know, platelets are what clot your blood. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: she was just clotting everywhere. It was crazy. So anyway, it was a whirlwind after that. We ended up um, being admitted. And needless to say, we, I think that time, that was her first go around and we were inpatient for eight months. We never left.
0: Was this at Cincinnati Children's Hospital?
1: Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. So she, um, they diagnosed her with acute myeloid leukemia, um, which is a very hard to treat type of cancer. Um, she, they feel like she had a condition called myelodysplastic syndrome, which uh-huh. is essentially, essentially bone marrow failure, which led to the acute myeloid leukemia, which I refer to as AML. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's frustrating because if they, we kind of feel like if they had, if the doctors had caught it earlier, acute um, myeloid dysplastic syndrome is easier to treat as long as it does not turn to cancer. But once it migrates to cancer, that's when it becomes really hard to treat.
0: So the first time you said you were inpatient for eight months, correct? Yes. Okay, so after the eight months you guys were released In what was her status at that point?
1: Well, so when she was diagnosed, because she had such a hard type of cancer to treat, they told us we were gonna have to go straight to transplant. So she was gonna need a bone marrow transplant. Okay. So, In September of 2011, she received her first bone marrow transplant, and um, she got really sick beforehand, but after the transplant, she actually did really well, um, recovered pretty quickly, and so I think we went home that October, Mm -hmm. so she was diagnosed in April of 2011, and we were able to go home that fall, basically, right before Thanksgiving, um, and she did okay, but um, she relapsed in 2012. So she relapsed in f- about February of 2012.
0: So, what was that time frame then? From fall into February, was that three, four months?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty quick. She relapsed pretty
0: quick. At that point, so what was Maya feeling at that point after she had gone and battled so hard for those first eight months? then had the yeah. transplant what was yeah. she feeling at that point
1: um you mean after the transplant or yeah yeah so after the transplant she was okay she was still really fatigued um you know she the transplant you know take, took a lot out of her so she she was tired but you know she always remained positive she she was a fighter like she you couldn't wait to come home um, to be. She was home for Christmas. She was super excited to see all her friends again. Mm-hmm. Now she she was immune com- compromised. You know, after you have a transplant, um, you are. You know, your immune system is very low, and it takes. It's like having a. You get basically brand new cells. You get a brand mm-hmm. new. Cell, so it's like being a baby. So you have to, you know, give it time for those new cells to grow and mature to where they can fight off infections. So. You know, Maya was pretty much wearing a mask, and we had to really be really careful about what she ate, wash Mm -hmm. all vegetables, wash our hands very carefully, Um, because if she was to get sick during that time, it would be very dangerous for her.
0: So, at that point, this is after her, this is her first transplant, she's back home now, and then you said she relapsed like four months later. Yes. So, what happened then?
1: So... Her cat, her numbers started going a little wacky. They did a bone marrow aspirate where they go in and they take a sample of her bone marrow because that's where her leukemia starts growing, mm-hmm. is in her bone marrow. And um, they saw that it looked like she had cancer again. Of course, we were devastated, but she mm-hmm. always stayed positive. She was a, you know, she was a feisty little thing. She always remained positive and always was a fighter. So we... Um, we, you know, check back into children's again and, um, in August of 2012, she had her second bone marrow transplant and that one, the second transplant for some reason went a little easier, which was great. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were only in the hospital for about six months with that one.
0: Okay. I mean, six months is still it's a, a
1: long time, <laughs> a
0: long time to be in the hospital for sure. Yeah. Cause at that point, how old was she then at the second time through?
1: So she was – right after her second transplant, she turned nine.
0: She turned nine. Okay. So up up to nine years old, she's already spent almost a year and a half in the hospital. Yeah. Battling. But she's still staying positive and feisty. Yeah. And and being Miss Maya. Okay. She did. So at that point, you led into a remission, correct?
1: Yes. So that one, she did great. Like she recovered we brought her home, she went back to school, she started ballet again, horseback riding, Um, you know, back to her little sassy self. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the meantime, we were able to meet her, both her bone marrow donors. Um, Mike, well, Kaylee was her first donor, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, her first transplant, and she came to visit us, and we basically took her in as part of the family. It was pretty awesome.
0: That's so cool.
1: We also met Mike, who was her second donor. And interestingly enough, both her bone marrow donors were um, – they live in Michigan, and they're 20 minutes apart from each other. So it's no crazy.
0: Yeah. They didn't know each other at all.
1: No, they didn't know each other. So it was pretty cool, but they met. We, in, a couple of years ago, we all got together, and we got the two of them together so they could meet. So that was pretty cool.
0: What was it like the very first time you met the bone marrow d- donors?
1: It was amazing. I mean, you know, how do you thank them for giving your child life? Like, it was incredible. And they are the most humble, kind people. Like, they, I mean, they would give us the world. I mean, they really are just amazing people. It, it was incredible. And, you know, I'm going to throw in a shout-out for being a bone marrow donor. Like, I advise everyone to get on the mat, uh, get on the list. All you do is go to www.bethematch.com org I think and um, you just order a kit it's free Um, they mail you a little kit and you just swab your cheek that's all you do and you put the swab in a little ziplock and you mail it back to them and then you're on the national registry
0: and I tell you what we're going to add that to the show notes for the podcast when it goes up we'll have those in the show notes so people can go there because I think that's awesome I I think everybody should do that yeah why not why not be a chance to be a hero for somebody
1: yeah it's pretty amazing
0: so, during those four years of remission, were you yeah. confident that Maya had beaten cancer for good, or were you kind of always on guard? Uh,
1: no, you're always on guard, and her cancer is so aggressive uh, that, you know, they pretty much said they if, – if we could make it two years uh, cancer-free, that they felt pretty strongly like that she would be cured. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, we made it four years, and we thought, well, this is good, you know. I mean, there's never – there's never guarantees. Um, you know, we've, we unfortunately know someone who relapsed eight years later. So oh, we wow. knew that, that was always a possibility. But, you know, you get more and more hopeful with each passing year. And she looked so good and felt so good and had gotten her life back. It was great.
0: Can so, you explain for people what remission really means? It doesn't mean cancer-free. I think a lot of people get that, here remission, and think everyone's good to go and they kind of move on that way.
1: Yeah, so remission, I mean – you are cancer free. Like it means there's no detectable cancer in your body. Okay. But um, it, a, a lot of times, unfortunately, cancers remain dormant. So you can't, mm-hmm. there's just no way for the doctors, they don't have the technology still to detect, you know, especially with like um, leukemia, the cancer they say will hide in the crevices of your bone. You know, they'll go into little pockets oh, in your wow. bone. And there's no way – they can do a bone marrow biopsy, but they don't always get it. So you could be cancer-free. You could be cured. But you could have some little cancer cells. Even one cancer cell that's hiding dormant in your marrow could start growing. In
0: okay. One, yeah. So I'll step back. Remission means you are cancer-free but not necessarily cured for sure. Correct.
1: Then okay. it could come back at any time.
0: It could come back. Oh, but, so but the, longer,
1: the longer you go out – I think they're saying for leukemia now – um, 10 years. If you, they're saying if you can go, it used to be five and they've changed it now to 10 years. If you can go 10 years without relapsing, you know, they pretty much consider you cured.
0: So what happened at the end of that four years, what started to happen again?
1: So at the end of the four years, um, we had taken around, so we still had to have labs every, I think we were at six months, every six months we were going in for lab work because that's really the, main way they can tell something's starting to go a little funky and I had taken her in and we had gotten lab works and some weird numbers came back that the doctors I was concerned because I was always on high alert um mm-hmm. but the doctors were kind of like well those numbers could you know could just reveal that she's fighting an infection or um could be allergies and they weren't overly concerned um they said you know just keep an eye on her and I don't even think they told me to come back for another six months. But there was always, they always knew that I was nervous, and they always had a standing lab order for me. So anytime, even Maya, like Maya would sometimes, if she felt a little funny, she would get kind of scared. And Mm -hmm. so for peace of mind, you know, I would take her in for lab
0: work. Well, I'm sure that she would be.
1: Yeah, she always was nervous or scared, or if she got a bloody nose, she would freak out, and I would too. (laughs) So anyway, so we had gotten kind of a funky lab, back, but nothing major, and it made me a little nervous, kept an eye on her, and then she started, she got a couple bloody noses again, and that was nerve-wracking, and then it was um, the summer of 2016, um, She, we were, we were getting ready to go to Hilton Head, um, we always took a trip to Hilton Head, my folks have a condo there, and she said, you know, Mom, I just don't feel good, I just, there's something not right, and I just really feel like I need to get some labs done, and I said to her, you know, well, we can do it, but if something comes back weird, you know, we may not make it to Hilton Head. Do you want to wait until we get back from our trip, and she said, nope, I want to go now, and so that's when I thought, "Uh uh-oh, that's serious, she'd love to go on our trip. Oh, I'm sure. So I took her in, and sure enough, all the bells and whistles went off, and um, it was not good. And so we obviously never made it to our trip. And so we checked back into Children's and started the whole process again.
0: So So how long were you in Children's once you checked back in?
1: So hmm, that's where it all gets a little fuzzy for me. All of this last round is kind of fuzzy for me. But I think we were there for a month or two. I want to say, well, let's see. It was uh, July when she was diagnosed again, when we realized she had relapsed. So it was about two months because that was the beginning of July, and what we decided to do was they wanted to start her on a new drug um, that they felt was promising. Um, so we started that drug, and it went really well. They were concerned. They, a lot of times when you relapse, your cancer comes back more aggressively, and so they were concerned about that, that it would be harder this time to get her into remission. Um, which is ultimately what they want to do before transplant. They want to get all the cancer down. You know, you're probably, most people aren't necessarily officially in remission, but get the percentage of their cancer low enough to where it's almost zero or, Mm -hmm. or almost undetectable, and that's when you, is the best time for you to go to transplant. So they were hopeful that they could get her back down to a low percentage of cancer, because when we went in this time, I think she was at about 80% cancer in her in her marrow. Um, and they started her on the drug, and it worked. It got her down to about 0.03%, which they were good. Wow. Yeah. So then we had to make the decision, did we want to um, stay at Children's for a third non-related transplant from another donor, mm-hmm. or did we want to try something else. And that's where we had lots of discussions with the doctors. And it basically just came down to the fact where we thought, you know, we've tried two of the same types of transplants and obviously they didn't work. They didn't cure her. Right. We need to try something new.
0: Okay. Yeah. So at this point, where was Maya in the decision of this? Well, How was she feeling about that?
1: Um, she was just wanting a cure. She just said, Mom, I just want to be cured. I'll do whatever it takes. Okay. So, yeah.
0: So that led so, you to St. Jude?
1: Yeah. So we, um, we had become friends with several families. That's kind of what happens when you're in the cancer world. You befriend other families going through the same thing. And we have be- had become friends with a family whose son had if you can imagine, four bone marrow transplants in 18 months. Oh, I
0: mean, my gosh. He's
1: cured. Like, he is amazing. He's Well, he's seven years out, and he's doing great. Um,
0: well, that's so good to hear.
1: Yeah, and he had very similar type, almost identical type of cancer that Maya had, and he was at St. Jude's, so we thought, well, shoot. You know, he had success. He was in a trial, and that trial was still open. So we decided to take Maya to St. Jude for the same trial. So we left. We left for St. Jude in um, August of 2016.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so, when you got down to St. Jude, what was the next step before the next um, having the next transplant?
1: So we went to St. Jude with her in sort of remission. They considered it remission, but it wasn't. because she still had some cancer cells floating around. Um, but it was a good number that they were happy with for her to go to transplant. Um, so we met with the team there. Um, we actually talked to them actually on the phone first and then they accepted us into the trial and the trial is, um, called a haploidentical transplant. And so it's, They've done it a lot at St. Jude. They don't do it much at Children's. It can be dangerous, but they've done it so much at St. Jude that they've gotten very experienced with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: basically using a parent, which normally it's – and I don't even understand all the ins and outs, but normally to use someone like a parent, your body would reject it, which you think it wouldn't. You think that you would be matched because it's your parent, but it, right. does, it doesn't work that way. And so um, – Using a parent can be very dangerous, but what they found is if they take half, um, it's, I don't know, half of the parent's marrow and they, they take out, or they, okay, what they do is they take the, par- the parent's marrow mm-hmm. and they um, take out the T-cells. So they take out all the um, cancer-fighting cells. And then they, um, but they also, and they put those into the child, but they are able to take out the cells that would attack the child's body um, and they basically infuse those back into the parents. So it's like when people are donating platelets, I don't know if you've ever de- donated platelets before, but they hook you up to this machine that takes out your blood through one tube, mm-hmm. it filters out just the platelets, and then it puts everything back into your, your body, right? Okay. So um, they do this with the transplant now. So they, would ta- they, they hooked up Tom, but Tom was the donor, and they hooked him up to this machine and it took out all the cells that it wanted, you know, all the good cells that mm-hmm. were to do what they were supposed to do, but then all the cells that would attack her and do bad things to her, it filtered those back into Tom and it didn't give them to her, if that makes any sense.
0: No, it does as much sense as we can digest it. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's
1: kind of complicated.
0: It does. Okay. So, <laughs> so they went through with this transplant and yep. how did it go?
1: So it went really good. Um, they have to watch her closely for what's called graft versus host, and that's where you know the marrow would attack her um, because that's still a strong possibility with these types of transplants, with any transplant really. But it's a stronger possibility with these haploidentical transplants. But she didn't get GvH. Um, she recovered really well, and she was doing really, really well. Um, and what? one of the things that they use, a tool that they use is called a chimerism test, where they draw your blood and they look at the percentage. They can tell from your blood how much of the blood is yours and how much is your parents, whoever donated to you. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was showing that Maya was 100% Tom, her dad, which was great. That's what they want. They want all the cells to basically, you know, fill her up and take over and become her new immune system. Any of her old cells that pop up are bad because those obviously would be the cancer cells. So everything was great. She was 100% for months. She was doing great. We were thinking about coming home, and then one or two of her chimerism tests came back at a very um it was like ninety nine point nine six percent and the doctors were a little concerned and I thought, well, you know that's close to a hundred percent and mm-hmm. they said that they've run studies that show that you, you know, they really want you at one hundred percent if you're not at one hundred percent precisely, you have a stronger chance of relapse and again, you know this is a trial it's all trial and error. You know, and when you sign up for St. Jude, I mean, a lot of these kids are guinea pigs, but that St. Jude is a research hospital, and this is what they do. And, you know, they're very careful. They don't want to put your child at risk, but everything they do is experimental. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they didn't know for sure, but they said to us, you know, we really would love for her to be at 100%. We feel like this would be, you know, she would have a less chance of a a relapse. Um, So we agreed. And so to do that, what they would do is take more cells out of Tom. Mm -hmm. inject them into her and it's called a um, donor lymphocyte infusion a DLI so they gave her a DLI um, and they and we waited a couple weeks Um, they re-ran the chimerism test and it was still 99.96 and so they said well we want to give her another DLI we want to give her even more of Tom cells and try to get them to go in and if there's any cancer cells lingering we want them to go in and you know gobble them up to attack them right so they gave her another DLI, a pretty big one, and shortly thereafter, she developed some GBH. and um, I kind of feel like that was probably her demise, ultimately. She um, never really fully recovered from that. Um, so when you get GVH, it's basically, you know, her dad cells, mm-hmm. and they go in, and they um, they don't recognize her body, and they attack it, and um, they went for her gut, and they will attack different organs depending on, I don't know, a lot of times if you have an infection, they'll go to fight the infection, and, but they'll also mistake the organs as the infection, and okay. yeah, it's very complicated. So anyway, she ended up getting GVH of the gut and started vomiting. She couldn't eat. Um, she had some issues with that, but we were able to manage them. Um, but then she started having some breathing issues and they never really knew for sure in the beginning if she had GVH of the lungs, but they were concerned and they talked to us about possibly doing a biopsy of her lungs. But at that point she was already having, you know, she was just feeling so bad and vomiting and just so miserable. We said, you know, we just don't want to put her through another procedure right now. Let's just try to get this gut situation kind of under control. Right. So that went on for a couple months, and um, she would have breathing issues, and we would end up in the hospital. She would, you know, she developed some fluid on the heart and lungs. It was kind of just one thing after another. Um, And then ultimately, um, you know, her lungs just ultimately failed, unfortunately. So in um, September of this year, she ended up in the ICU, and it just, they tried everything they could, and it just, um, we think it was... They they're pretty sure it was GVH of the of the lungs that that took her down.
0: It was yeah. attacking her lungs at that point when she was in the ICU.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Yep. Okay. And so um, I feel like I'm rambling, but I do want to say, and you know, it's funny because as as you go through all of this and you learn so much information, that as time goes on, it's I it's funny for me because I forget a lot, and um, so anyway. I'm concerned that someone's going to listen to this who's like in the medical field and they're going to be like, okay, a lot of what she's saying is not necessarily accurate. <laughs> so I'm just saying like, <laughs> I'm saying what I remember being told, but sometimes it gets a little fuzzy. And, well, you um, know
0: what, Bonnie, your experience is your experience. You I, know, share, I know, And you share it any way you want and you're so doing a great medical job.
1: Medical stuff, I'm like, okay, I've, this probably is not 100% correct. But anyway, I'm, hopefully I'm getting the gist across to people as, as to how everything works. So.
0: <laughs> you have been doing an amazing job.
1: Okay. So Maya passed away on October 3rd, and um, she was surrounded by friends and family, and, you know, as sad as we are, and we always will be. Absolutely. Um, You know, she suffered a lot. She fought for six and a half years, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing you go through when somebody passes away after fighting for so long because you know, while it's it's horrible, and we are devastated. it's um to me, it's a little bit of a weird blessing that she fought for six and a half year years because we were able to spend quality time with her where. You know, I think there's a lot of people who, if their child dies in a car accident or dies suddenly, you don't right. have time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, it's a little bit of a relief for us to know that she's no longer suffering because she really was miserable those last few months and just up and down. And it was frustrating for her. It was frustrating for us. And, you know, I am just glad that she's at peace.
0: Absolutely. Well, let me say at this point is that there's such a community around here in Mason locally that where you're from, mm-hmm. and you you were – during that whole time, you were always blogging and writing on her care page about how things were going. You were really in-depth, so people yeah. felt so connected to the story at all the time, yeah. and I have to say right here talking to you, for people who aren't seeing here, the strength from Bonnie Collins is amazing. The strength from your family is amazing. We are so, so – of the way that you're standing or sitting here in front of me and Mm -hmm. you're relaying this story for people to talk about and it doesn't just end Maya just didn't pass away and that's the end of her story right What's so what I think captivated everybody it wasn't like I I lost a child and I'm done Mm -hmm. you have now made Maya more alive than ever (laughs) um and what is being called the hashtag Maya sent me movement um Mm -hmm. So did you want to talk a little bit about the uh, random act of kindness stuff with Maya?
1: Oh yeah. So, um, well, it was probably in 2012 when she was diagnosed the second time that we met a family. Cause I can't take credit. I unfortunately cannot take credit for the idea, but we met another family <laughs> and they had a daughter, Maya, who also had AML. Um, their daughter's name was spelled M Y A and N-A-Y-A. Okay. But, um, we, really, you know, we met them through Facebook. We didn't know them personally, but we followed each other. They followed our Maya. We followed their Maya. And they unfortunately lost their Maya into, I think it was 2012, they lost their Maya. So, and it was, at, they were at St. Jude. So, and they started their bias kindness cards. And what it is, is it's basically a little card uh, like a business card, and um, it, it just basically says, you know, Maya sent me, it's got a picture of Maya, and it says, um, you know, uh, please do a, a random act of kindness in honor of or in memory of our Maya, um, and we ask that, um, you know, if you are the recipient of this card that you will take this card and pass it to someone else and do a random act of kindness to them and just pay it forward. So we just thought that was a great idea. And so we asked them, we were like, can we steal that idea for our <laughs> so So um, we, and so we did it, you know, we, it wasn't a big thing, but, you know, um, throughout Maya's journey, you know, we always had the cards in our pocket. A few of our friends took our cards. Uh, we passed them out to friends and they did random act of kindness. Um, but it wasn't until Maya passed away this year that I think it really took off. Um, you know, and w- what happened was, you know, she passed away in October, And so it was right after Thanksgiving where our older daughter, Annabella, said, hey, mom, um, you know, what if we did like the 25 days of Christmas uh, or 25 days of kindness, sorry, Uh 25 days of kindness over the Christmas holidays? And I was, I thought, oh, my God, that's like brilliant. That's a perfect idea. So I created a Facebook page, um, the, you know, Maya kindness cards page and, I, you know, told everybody to join the page and, and for 25 days of the Christmas holiday to, to spread the, the joy and the kindness. And Mm -hmm. it just took off. I mean, I think we have a thousand people now on the page and it's grow, it's still growing. And, you know, obviously I'm like, don't just do it over holidays. Keep it going. You know, just, it's just a wonderful thing to do. And the thing that I think is so great about it is that it's, it brings people who are giving so much joy. Obviously the people receiving are joyful to receive something, but I think it gives more pleasure and happiness to the people who are actually doing the giving. And that's, what's so cool about the whole thing.
0: No, I think, I think it's amazing when you launched that page on Facebook and then you started and I, you know, so obviously I follow that page and then I got to see people. And I think this must be amazing for you to see Maya's face is not just here in Mason. It's not just here in Ohio. It's around the country and around the world. Right. So Tom,
1: um, my husband went to, um, Singapore, uh, he was over in Singapore and he ran into a, you know, or he was at Starbucks and he bought a girl a Starbucks coffee. And, you know, she found the page because the Facebook page is on the card. So she looked it up and she wrote this little note and she said, you know, I was having a really stressful morning. I was, um, you know, emailing and texting and I had meetings, and I was trying to prepare for everything, and this strange guy (laughs) bought me a coffee, and she said, at first, I was like, who are you? I don't, you know, I don't need a coffee. (laughs) And she said, when he handed me the card, and I read it, she goes, it made everything just disappear. She's like, I just realized that's all not important. You know, this is what's important, is family, and friends, and kindness, and love. You know, that's, it's not all the stupid stuff that we get caught up in every day.
0: Absolutely. So... What I think is really cool is that Maya will live on forever and not just live on in people's memories, but live on in kindness every single day who people are paying this forward and saying, Maya sent me. I think that is such an amazing chance for hope and encouragement for people and love. Like you said, it's just kind of showing love in a practical way by paying something forward to somebody. And okay. it wasn't just somebody random. It was Maya. Maya was there. She's going to be there being yep. it forward for a long time. She
1: loved it. And I'll tell you, like, um, she would love so. St. Jude is in Memphis, and unfortunately, there's a lot of poverty there. Um, and she, you know, there were a lot of homeless people on the corners. You know, you'd get off the highway, and there'd be always be a homeless person at the exit where we would, you know, leave the hospital. And one day, you know, she at the end near the end, she wasn't eating a whole lot. And one day, she was like, you know, Mom, I think I want a a sausage biscuit. And so, anytime she ate. <laughs> Oh my God, where are we going to to get a sausage (laughs) biscuit? Get her a sausage biscuit. I know. know. So I like ran (laughs) down to McDonald's and we drive through and they gave us a, um, I think they were having a special. You buy a biscuit and you get an apple pie or something. Well, and Maya never liked sweets. She wasn't, it was so funny. She never, I I don't know if it was the chemo or what, but ever since she started all her treatments, she just never really listened to sweets. So she said, mom, I really want to give a homeless person this apple pie with a with a Maya card. So we drove around and then I remembered, oh yeah, there's that always oh, that guy at the exit. So we pulled up and she was so excited to, you know, she leaned out the window and gave him gave him, you know, her apple pie with a Maya card, kindness card. It was pretty cool. But she just loved doing that. Like it brought her a lot of joy. So
0: that great. is awesome. So talking about St. Jude. Um I, I think a lot of people maybe have misconceptions what St. Jude's really about, Liz. When you go to St. Jude, does everyone get healed? You know, you see the commercials about it, and the commercials come across with great hope, and, you know, they say no one ever pays for St. Jude. What was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, I would always tell anybody if, to always look into St. Jude as an option. You know, a lot of times kids who go to St. Jude are without options. Their doctors tell them, you know, there's nothing more we can do. Um, Now, St. Jude is a trial hospital, so you do have to fall into a trial. I think a lot of people um, get upset if they find out that their child's not accepted at St. Jude um, because they don't fall into a trial. I think a lot of people think that St. Jude takes every kid, but, you know, obviously they can't take every kid, you know. Sadly, there's too many sick kids. Um, But they, you know, if you fall into a trial at St. Jude, it's amazing. Um, it's a hopeful place. They they take the worst of the worst cases usually. Um, they are strictly cancer, but they also take sickle cell. Um, okay. And but it's it is a hopeful place. I mean, you know, I remember first walking in and just seeing some kids and thinking, oh my god, like this is really scary because the kids are really really sick and they look really really sick, but. At the same time, we met survivors that, you know, they heck, a lot of the people who work at St. Jude are survivors, and they, you know, were patients there, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we met actually a couple of, like, one or two people. It, they were the one of the very first bone marrow transplant recipients ever, you know, and they were my age. We're not going to go to how old they were. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> very <laughs> but young, well. very young.
1: Yes, very young. But, yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of hope at St. Jude. Everyone is smiling, hopeful. Um, you know, obviously there's times when they're not smiling, but, you know, they always remain hopeful. And they're so kind. And, you know, we, we, we joked um, she was going in for a biopsy one day, and we were down in surgery. And one of my favorite nurses um, was prepping her for surgery. And I – I pulled out my camera and he said, you know, you're really not supposed to videotape um, the patients down in the procedure rooms. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's all the HIPAA violations and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. But then he said, you know what, though? What are we going to do? Like, and I'm like, yeah, right. What are you going (laughs) to do? Are we going to throw you in St. Jude jail? And he's like, if we threw you in St. Jude jail, it would be the happiest jail. (laughs) And it's true. Like, I compare, I say St. Jude is like the Walt Disney World of hospitals. Like, it is, there's always something going on in the halls. There's clowns. There's, you know, crafts. They've got crafts set up. You walk up and in the halls, and if your child's feeling good, they can sit down and, you know, do a craft. They have therapy dogs walking up and down in the lobbies. And, you know, it's like a crazy festival all the time there. It's really, it's a, it's a great place, a hopeful place. I'll say that for sure.
0: So I know from following you over your journey over the last past year or so when you were in St. Jude with Maya that your faith is very big to you and your family. Mm-hmm. I know you talked about it a lot. So did you ever start to doubt your faith at all during this process when Maya just kept getting sicker and you tried everything you could?
1: No, I mean, somebody sent me a story or a poem or something about, you know, how God takes I can't remember exactly how it went, but it really made me think, you know, that he, you know, he sends the specialist, sweetest, you know, the kindest children to earth, and and then he, you know, he needs them back for whatever he needs done, and, you know, I always kind of thought that with Maya, like, she was always special, and, you know, I'm just thankful that he gave us time with her, and he needed her back to do good somewhere else, you know, so she, she's always with us, I feel her presence, she sends us, They. it's funny, they call it, like, Maya Winks, and it's mm-hmm get my winks a lot um we went on a cruise over the holidays just to get away and we didn't really want to be home and be sad over Christmas so we thought it'd be nice change of pace just to go on a cruise and Anna uh, walked we we saw lots of things that reminded us of Maya everywhere Uh but one thing that was really cool was that Maya's very favorite color is blue so everything about Maya is blue and Anna was walking on the beach and she leaned down and she saw something blue and she picked it up and it was a blue piece of sea glass, like the only piece she found on the beach. And oh, was, wow. Which, you know, I'm like, oh my God, that was Maya. She was sending us a little sign. So she's up there. She's watching over us. And now like, you know, I use, I lose things all the time. I'm very scatterbrained and I've found that I'll lose something and I'll say, Maya, you know, help me find it. <laughs> <laughs> I found it every time. I'm like, this is so great. Thanks, Maya.
0: <laughs> Maya, she is awesome. She's, Bringing it home for you when you can't even find your own it thing. Yes, I know. <laughs> now, recently, I was going to ask you this question, Neil. How do you know, how does Maya still show you that she's still around? And you listed yeah. some of the things. I remember you said something about a, a library book on Facebook.
1: Yeah, that was weird. So um, Tom and I, Anna was at work, I think, and Tom and I were in the office working. We heard this big thud, you know, upstairs, and we're like, what is that? So Tom goes up to investigate. I followed him. I'm scared. I followed behind him. <laughs> <laughs> And he walks into Maya's, like, he looked all the rooms, and then he went into Maya's room, and we haven't been in there in a couple days, and, um, and a- around her bed, like, not even near the door, like, he had to walk around her bed, and we have these shelves way up high with books on them. A couple, she had put a couple of her favorite books up there, and one of those books had fallen off the shelf, and it was so weird, because it's, it's, like, not even in reach. Nobody can reach up there. You know, mm-hmm. Tom can, because he's tall, but, so, he, um he picked up the book and we were like okay that's we kept look, we looked at each other we we're like okay that's weird and then <laughs> so we put the book back up and then we went went back downstairs and I think I posted on Facebook about it and somebody was like was there a sign in the book was there a note you know or what was the title of the book so I went back upstairs and looked and, and I, as I'm looking at the book, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, this is, it has a note on it that says, this is, uh, this book belongs to Mason Intermediate School. And I'm like, oh my God. apparently it's a book that Maya had that we never returned. And I said, well, I think she's just trying to tell us that we need to take that book back. To
0: <laughs> Maya was being studious. She's she letting me you know.
1: Us, trying to make sure we don't get
0: Being done. kind, return <laughs> that.
1: Return the book, mom. Be good. <laughs>
0: Um, talking about Maya, I know that she guys, she made you guys laugh all the time. Yes. Now, can you share any funny stories with us about Maya? That's something that if you think about it, just makes you laugh anytime.
1: Well, oh God, she was so cute. Well, just the thing she said when she was really little, she was hysterical. Like, well, she was always hysterical, but, um, (laughs) at one Christmas she, (laughs) she, and this was when she was kind of really little, but it was my favorite, it's my favorite thing she ever said. Um, we had a live tree, and it shed all the needles, and she looked at me, and she said, and she walked over, and she picked up a needle, and she looked at me, and she goes, Mom, this is a Christmas tree, a Christmas tree crumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so cute. So, and then every year, whenever we had a live tree, and it shed all those needles, I'd be like, Maya, I got to go vacuum up the Christmas tree crumbs.
0: Oh, that is so cute. That's so cute. I love that story.
1: And then as she got older, though, she got sassy and feisty, you know, she didn't take a lot of crap. Um, she, you know, we, she cussed a couple times at the nurses. That was a big surprise to them, but I told her to just do what she has to do to get through it, you know? Absolutely. But, um, she, she was a, she was a hoot. Let me tell you, she she had the nurses rolling a lot of times in the hospital. She was pretty funny.
0: (laughs) That is so awesome. So this podcast is all about people sharing their stories like you're doing today and Mm -hmm. offering hope for one person out there who may be going through the same thing. So if there, I mean, obviously, you know, other people going through this, other families. So if there's somebody listening to this podcast and they're going through something similar, what kind of encouragement could you give them right now?
1: Hmm. I would say to stay positive, to surround yourself with family and friends, um, you know, just to never give up and to just keep fighting. And then it does get better. You know, um, when we were, in remission, that four-year period we were in remission, it was like a just a dream, you know? And it it really does go by fast, like when you're going through it, it stinks, and it seems like it's taking forever, but honestly, when we were done with treatments, and we we had that four years, that magical four years, like we did not even remember hardly her treatments. It's really just a fog, and it becomes just kind of like a bad dream, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my, I just say just in keep the faith, you know, keep talking to God and keep praying and, um, and just stay positive. I mean, that's – and take care of yourself. You know, that's, that's the best way to, to handle it, I think.
0: I think that sums it up perfectly. So what we're going to include in the show notes of the podcast I want to tell you about is you can go to mayagracecollins.com, and you can see a little bit of her story there. Um, I think some of her artwork is on the website there. Mm -hmm. And there's a chance to order some of the Maya Kindness Cards, right?
1: Yes. There's a a Kindness Cards link on the page, and you can click on it, and um, it it tells you you can either print your own if you want, or I can order some for you if you just send me your information. Um, Or I even have packs of 25 that I can mail to you if you send me your address. So whatever you prefer.
0: So how can people connect with you? if they, they hear your story and they want to hear more and they want to hear what some of the procedures, maybe I'm going through this too. And maybe you can give me a little bit of encouragement on how can they connect with you?
1: Um, I would just say to go to Maya's page or her, I'm sorry, go to her website, mayagracecollins.com. Um, and there's a contact us page and just shoot me a message and I'll, I'm responding to people right away. And um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you. And if you need any advice or referrals or just encouragement, I'm here for you. that is
0: amazing well i really 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 want to thank you so much for joining us today um we don't take this lightly you know this is a child's life who lived a shining life and continues to shine beyond what the maya sent me um your your faith is strong we trust in god all the time and i'm glad to see that you kept your faith through that um your family is strong and we're all praying for you And there's so many people out here that love you, and you're going to touch so many people's story, so many lives with your story through this podcast. So thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I couldn't be any more thankful to have Bonnie Collins on the show today, and I'm sure you guys are completely blown away by her story and her strength. How amazing was that, that she was able to come on and share such a deep pain that most of us couldn't even fathom? Most of us won't ever have to fathom that, but this is her reality, and what she did with it was to keep Maya alive. Maya is now more alive than ever, I feel like, in a way that the hashtag Maya sent me movement is taking over Ohio, taking over the country, taking over the world. Those random acts of kindness are showing up everywhere now, and so she's keeping her spirit alive, and Maya still gets to show up in people's lives, and the beautiful little smile on her card that said Maya sent me, showing them random act of kindness, and I think that is such a great thing to keep passing forward and paying forward to other people, and it doesn't take much to make somebody's day, and what I wanted to do is share something with you today. It was a random act of kindness, something that I saw, and I'll share this link in our show notes which is on our website, unwrittenlifepodcast.com. And I'll give you some more information about that here in a moment. The name of the article is Coffee Stand Employees Stop to Pray with a Grieving Customer. It says a grieving woman who had just lost her husband found solace in an unexpected place. The young employees of a local drive-thru coffee stand. The newspaper reports that Dutch Bros Coffee in Vancouver, Washington, noticed one of their customers seemed upset while waiting in her car Saturday. It turns out that her 37-year-old husband died the night before. When 19-year-old employee, Pierce Dunn, found found this out, he gave the woman a free copy and asked if he could pray for her. The next thing you know, Dunn and two other employees were leaning out the drive-thru window, holding the woman's hand, and praying. He said, we just love people. Anytime we see someone sad or mournful, it takes five minutes to make their week, make their life, and it's just a small price to pay. Barbara Danner was waiting in line behind the impromptu prayer circle and snapped a photo, which she posted on Facebook. By Tuesday afternoon, the photo had gone viral, racking up hundreds of thousands of shares and even likes. Even Freeman, a 20-year-old Dutch Bros employee who joined in the prayer, despite not being religious, says, Employees didn't want attention for their actions. They just wanted to make the women feel joy and that love is still in the world. He's quoted as saying, She could have said she wanted an apple and I would have gone and planted a tree And growing her an apple he tells the newspaper the woman spent about 10 minutes talking and praying with the Dutch Bros employees but Dunn tells the Colombian waiting customers didn't seem to mind at all what an amazing story see she didn't want anything but hope and comfort and someone stepped up and saw that and leaned out the window held her hand and prayed with her and that's just one of many thousands of random acts of kindness But the point being is people aren't looking for a free handout. They're not looking for a big tip. Sometimes they're just looking for that little teeny bit of hope. And I'm glad that we saw that story in Bonnie with Maya and that she's showing hope on the other side and that this random act of kindness that I just read you is showing hope for other people. How amazing is that? I cannot understate the message of hope. That is what the podcast is all about, and I want to continue to spread that message. So how can you connect with Bonnie? She left a couple of things in her interview, and I'm going to list them all in our show notes, which is at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. Just go there, click on the podcast, find the episode, which would be Bonnie Collins, and you can see all her information there and some pictures of Maya and her family. Um, I talked about it at the very beginning, guys. How can we connect? First, if I can ask you again, if you're liking the podcast and you really love Bonnie's story, please subscribe. Leave a rating and review. Let me know and let Bonnie know what you thought about her story you can connect with us on twitter at uwl podcast that would be unwritten life podcast but it's at uwl podcast you can also join the conversation with us on facebook at the unwritten life podcast group it is a group that's private but you can ask to join and we want you on there like i said to join the conversation let us hear what you think about the podcast and then lastly i keep asking people to join the podcast Come on and share your story and share your message of hope with others. I know you have one. I know you know someone who has one. But let's say you're not comfortable getting on a podcast. That is okay. That's not for everybody. But I still want to hear your story. And if you would be interested, I would love if you would email me at tim at com, or go to my website on the contact form Leave your message there, leave your story there, and I can read it on the podcast. I know there are a lot of stories out there and there are messages of encouragement and hope for other people, but I know this is not for everybody to get on the show and come talk about it, and that's okay. I can't understate how much I appreciate you guys listening and tuning in this week. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode, another great story, another great interview, and it's really gonna bless your life. So we've come to an end of another episode, but like I said before, this is not the end of your story or your life. You matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.